which one of these cups did you brother drink out of? I want to make sure I... Okay, I want to make sure I drink out of that cup. That was wonderful. Lord blessed both messages just wonderfully, and we praise God for that. Whether I preach a lick, it remains to be seen. If I don't preach, it's not God's fault. It's uh, lay that to my charge. But the only way man can preach is if God gives him the grace to preach. And as much grace as I need to preach, you need grace to hear. I was raised in a church whose firm belief, and I made sure I got it, that the, uh, the sin against the Holy Ghost was to preach past the noon hour. <clears throat> and it's past the noon hour. <laughs> I'm feeling a little nervous right now. Maybe I need to feel nervous. But whether anything more is said, can we not say the Lord's been here? Amen. And he's blessed the messages, the singing, the prayer. I'm thankful that I was here. I'll, I'll, I'll rejoice days to come, praise God. Now, <clears throat> I'm not a big believer in continuing a sermon. I don't, I, I, I like to think that I'm, you preaching what the Lord gives you. Uh, you need to study, pray, meditate, but you lean on the Lord. Maybe what I studied that week, I take that step into the pulpit and he gives me something else. Uh, I don't think he's ever given me anything to preach that I hadn't studied about before, but I've learned if you're going to preach to God's people about faith, that you as a preacher need to preach on faith or preach by faith. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Ruth, if you don't mind, and may the Lord be with us just for a few moments. These brethren stirred up my mind on some of the things that I've been trying to study there. You know, last night we try to say a few things about that lovely story and how it uh, is still such a beautiful love story and, and it has so many applications for us today. Uh, it is a true story and yet it lends itself so well to our lives as God's children on this earth, especially in the household of faith. And uh, you know, Ruth was not raised to be a, she wasn't an Israelite by birth. She wasn't raised to think like an Israelite. She married an Israelitish man. She became the daughter-in-law of a wonderful woman named Naomi. And we know the sad story. Her father-in-law died, then her husband died. And uh, the only reason why Naomi and her husband and sons were where they were is because of a sore famine in the land of Israel. And yet now, I would dare say Naomi was suffering from a drought worse than an actual drought. She was suffering from a famine that a lot of you have been through in your lives. You've lost loved ones. Maybe you've lost a little bit of your, your hope. Maybe your, the loss of your loved ones has caused you to get bitter. Naomi was bitter. I read at the end of the first chapter where Naomi says <clears throat> in the 20th verse, and she said unto them, this is when she gets back home, she goes home to Israel, to, to Bethlehem. And she says, call me not 
Naomi. Her name meant pleasant. But call me <clears throat> Mara. I lost my place. But, and call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter, bitterness. He says, don't call me a pleasant person anymore. I don't want to hear nothing about pleasant or happy or, or joy. All that I feel, all that I can see is bitterness. The Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. Was she uh, right to say that? I'll let you think about that. But she was being honest. She was saying what she truly felt. And then she says, I went out full. When they left Israel, they, they went full. And the Lord, not just her, but the Lord, hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi? <clears throat> when seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, Naomi's bitter. We might say, surely, she had good reason. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. They, they, they left full. They came back empty. In any event, the world would say she went out a winner. She came back a loser. That's how we think, isn't it? That's how we think about things. It, some of this reminds me of the story of Job. And yet, uh, Job didn't say he was bitter, at, at least at the beginning. He, he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was, a, that was the right thing to say. It was the true thing to say. But have you ever said what was true, and yet you felt in your heart, and yet all this happened? And it's easy to think that... Uh, these things happen because we must have done something to deserve it. Sometimes it is true. Bad things happen because we, we haven't behaved like we ought to have. It reminds me of that question that was asked of the Lord about the men that the Tower of Siloam fell on. And they asked the Lord, were these men greater sinners than any other sinners in Bethlehem? Or Jerusalem, I should say. In other words, did these men sin more than anybody else? Jesus said, no, but unless you repent, the same will happen to you. I, just, I always thought about that answer. Why, why that answer? If, if I'm right about this, then I think what the Lord was saying is, if you live on this earth, you're going to have problems. Nobody is exempt from problems. You know why? Because we're all sinners. Even the best of us are sinners. The problem that we have is how we gauge ourselves, how we measure ourselves. If you measure your straight line against my straight line, yours will probably come out looking a lot straighter than mine. And if I measure my straight line against yours, maybe I'll find that my straight line is straighter than yours. 
But who we should really measure ourselves against is the only straight line that really is straight. And that's the righteousness of God. And when we measure ourselves against the righteousness of God, you know what we ought to say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Brother Danny, you got 99% there. That's not good enough so far as God is concerned. God looks for perfection. And there's nobody here living on this earth except, and there never has been anybody living on this earth except the Lord Jesus Christ who lived a life of sinless perfection. So we all ought to see things like the Lord suggests to those people who asked him about those people, were they really bad people? Is that why this happened to them? And he said, they're no worse than you. It could just as easily happen to you as it happened to them. That's a sobering thought. None of us are exempt from the tragedies of life. In this world, you shall have tribulations. You'll have tribulations no matter what, no matter how well you try to serve the Lord in spirit and in truth, you're going to have tribulations in life. You're going to have problems that you cause for yourself or others cause for you, but you're going to have problems. And these problems come upon us because we're human beings that live in a sin-cursed earth. Naomi couldn't see past her own grief. And when a child of God, especially a believing child of God, gets so bitter that they can't see beyond their own bitterness, that's truly a tragedy. Well, what we don't know, what Naomi doesn't know, what we can know now because we have the story before us, at the end of the first chapter, that's the lowest point of the book. That's the low ebb of the story. Things are already looking up because she's home. She was in a place that probably she should have never been in to begin with. She was in the land of Moab. It's not a place for the Israelites to be. God had a place for them. Land of Canaan. And that's where he expected them to be. But Naomi wasn't there. And now she's back home. And it's the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Israel had had a drought itself. That's why they left. But the Lord had brought back the rain. And the harvest was plentiful. And I tried to say this last night. What if they had decided to stay in the land of Canaan? Would they have been spared these difficulties that they had in the land of Moab? We don't know. But they could have had the same difficulties. But I'll tell you what they wouldn't have had, or what they would have had had they stayed. They would have had the presence of God. They would have had the true worship of God. They would have had the saints of God around them. They would have had a support structure that you will not have anywhere else in this world but in the church of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, no matter how bad it gets in life, no matter how terrible this world becomes or this country devolves, I want to tell you what, don't leave the land of Canaan. Don't leave the land of our forefathers. Remember where those ancient landmarks are placed. Remember there's a place for you, this side of heaven, in a place that is like heaven on earth. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. And dear friends, you may be bitter now, 
But you're, it's best to be bitter in the church. Because the only hope that you'll get over your bitterness is to hear the gospel preached. The good news of a strong, omnipotent, yes, that word's in the Bible, Brother Dan. Able and willing. God of love. Now, Ruth, I just love to think about Ruth. Here's this little girl. She's probably in her 20s. But since I'm almost past uh, the midpoint of my, I'm in the beginning of old age. It's undeniable. Just ask my wife. She will confirm that Mike Montgomery is not the, it's not the Mike Montgomery Bowl. In some ways, that's not a bad thing. In other ways, I, you know, your mind is not as sharp. Your things, things are unraveling. But she, she hears this woman who wasn't raised among God's people, but she's with God's people. How different would the story of Ruth be if God's people had treated her other than the way she was treated? And there, I want to tell you here, you don't know, there may be a Ruth sitting right here right now. And it's important, I say, it's important how you treat the Ruths in your congregation. Now, thank goodness that love conquers even bitterness. Love is stronger than death. And love is stronger than bitterness. If someone persists in bitterness, what do you do? I'll tell you what Ruth did. She went out to find food to eat. She tried to find some way to provide support out of the great love that she had for her mother-in-law. And as we said last night, it wasn't just the fact that she loved Naomi. It's the fact that out of the things that Naomi had said to her and out of the example that Naomi set before her, she came to love the God of Naomi. And it was that God that she fell in love with, Brother Danny. She loved that God that Naomi told her about. And may I just say, that love of God was always there. But what Naomi said and what she exampled to Naomi taught her about the God that was already there. And that God that was always there became precious to her. And I say to you, if we have roots in the congregation today, or if we have roots in the congregation tomorrow, we want them to leave feeling that sweet presence of God in their lives. We want them to know what it is to have true fellowship with the one and true God, the true and living God. And uh, we can't make someone love God. We can't give God's love to somebody. We can't make the dead live. But we ought to be mindful that we have tremendous impact on God's people that come to, among us from time to time. Amen. What do we want them to leave thinking when they leave this place, whether they come back or not? I'll tell you what I hope. That is a place of love. That is a place of warmth. That is a place of fellowship. Those people love one another. They care for one another. And that care and that love is predicated. On the great love and care that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us every moment of every day of our life. And they love to be with one another. Not just to be with one another, but to worship with one another. To sing those praises to God. To feel the melodies of the sweet spirit of grace welling up within the harps of our heart. 
and playing a song that could never be sung otherwise. A song that from time to time that we feel our Lord stands in the midst of the church, those seven golden candlesticks. And just as he prophesied in the 22nd Psalm, and as he says in Hebrews, that the Lord sings in the midst of the church. Oh, I tell you what, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ by a near faith as he sings along with us, what greater joy can be had while we live here on this earth below? The time of barley is a time when food's available, and, and, and I know we need the natural food. I've, I've had a lot of natural food, as you can tell. But what I really need is spiritual food. I need to eat bread, yes, but I want the bread of life. I want that bread that, that is even better than the manna that fell in the wilderness. I want that bread that points me to the one who, who died for me. The one that has no leaven in him, no sin in him. And yet he, makes, he has made himself our food, our drink. And to feed upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at his invitation is to take part of the, the one thing the soul truly needs in this life. Can you imagine in heaven how full we will be there when we're before the throne of God and we see his face in peace and we rejoice at what we see and what we hear. We'll no longer do like Paul say, we heard things that were not lawful to be uttered, but they will be lawful to be uttered. And they will be lawful to be seen and rejoicing. Right now, we are not in a position to have that because of our sin-cursed body, but God's going to take care of that in the resurrection. We need that food that Jesus Christ is for us. But you know, like anything, Ruth had to go out in the field and get it. And we said last night, she didn't know where to go. She didn't know who Boaz was. She'd never heard of a Boaz. But it just so happened that she chanced or happed upon the field, the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. As we said last night, God is a God of providence. He leaves us when we don't even know it. He blesses us when we don't even feel it. Until later, only until later, we can say like Jacob did, surely the Lord is here and I knew it not. And here's little Ruth. Where do I go? Who do I speak to? How do I do it? We can't expect people who come to us to know exactly what to think, say, and do. Right? But what we must do in any case is make sure God's people feel welcome and not to put upon them burdens that ought not to be put on. You see, Ruth could have gone to another field where they weren't so kindly dis dispositioned towards her and could have beat her or, uh, or treated her terribly and driven her away. And she would still be wanting for food. But she happed upon the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. And she didn't know what to do, but she looked at the women that were the gleaners. There were reapers, men who were reapers, women who were gleaners. And the men were with the scythe cutting the stalks of grain. And then the, the reapers would come and pick them up and tie them into bundles. And wherever there were pieces or uh, stalks of grain that didn't get in 
tied up in the bundle. That, that, those were, I think, it, it, the way they say it, they were considered for the poor. <clears throat> According to the law, those things that fell on the ground that were not bundled up with the others, they were to be left there for the, for the good of the poor. But, but Ruth had to be humble about it, too. She had to accept the fact that she didn't deserve to be where she was. Uh, she had to realize she was a mendicant. She was a beggar at, at the, uh, the door of the field there. And she came in not just realizing the best thing she could do is just humbly pick up what is there. Just pick up what is there and put it in her arms and go on to the next and pick it up and, and so on. And yet, here's the thing. The Lord always does more for us than we could ever do for him. Uh, we can say we've done great things in the name of the Lord, but he can never say we've done for him what he's done for us. He, well, look, what has he done for us? He saved us <laughs> and called us with a holy calling. Not according to your own purpose and grace, but according to, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So here's Ruth. She's gleaning. And it just so happens that day, Boaz is in the field. You know, some people say, well, that was just circumstance. I grant you, it looked like that. But God doesn't roll dice. He doesn't play games of chance. And I try very hard not to use the word luck. But the Bible does teach time and chance happeneth to all men. It could just as easily happen one way as it did the other way. The only reason why it didn't happen that way is God. And people want to say, no, God, if there is a God, that God would not have anything to do with us personally. He sets everything in motion and he steps back and just watches it go. Praise God, that's not the, the God that really is. He's a God that is very involved. He's a personal God. He's a personal Savior. I hope that didn't offend anybody. But he's the, he's the personal Savior of all the elect. <laughs> and then... Here, here he, he asks about this young girl, this young lady. And he's impressed with her. He's already, he already knows about her. He's heard about her. He's heard about his, her kindness to Naomi. And it's impressive what Ruth did in leaving this place where she was raised to go to a strange land with strange people where she would be the stranger and be with this woman named Naomi. But she loved Naomi. She loved the God of Naomi. And she wanted to be around those people whose God was their God. And as it says, <clears throat> uh, Boaz asked questions about Ruth. And to bring it to, to a close, <clears throat> Ruth ended up with about 60, 70 pounds of grain. You know why? Because Boaz gave her it to him. Gave her the grain. Gave it to him. He didn't have to, but he did. Now here's where I think the answer to bitterness lies, or at least the beginning to the road out of bitterness, is to remember this. In the field of the Lord, there's food. And the Lord will give you far more than you can imagine. Amen. I try to remind myself of that. In whatever shape, especially when things aren't going well. Don't forget, 
Our Boaz is Jesus Christ. Amen. That field that was Boaz's field is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. The men and the women, the, 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 the <clears throat> say it again. Thank you. The gleaners, the reapers, they're the servants of God. They're not just the ministry because all of us have a job to do in the field of God. And if we do our job with compassion and love, then there's going to be plenty of food for the little Moab, uh, little Ruths that come among us. There's going to be food for the lambs that they can eat and food for the sheep that they can eat. And finally, <clears throat> when Boaz says all these things to her, she says in the 10th verse of the second chapter, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes? What a question. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by the grace of God? It shouldn't take much for us to be overwhelmed by it. That you ask that question, who am I? Who am I? Hast done unto thy, uh, why have I found grace in thine eyes? That thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Somebody comes to the church with that attitude, I say, that's the one we want around us. Amen. We want people like that to come to church. We need to come to church with that attitude. Amen. I hope we never lose that attitude. Well, you said 1230, so I better quit. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Love you.